All right, if you've got your Bibles, let's go Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is our text this morning. It's great to see you. Excited about uh, what God's going to teach us this morning as we start a brand new series called Illusions. And what we're going to do the next few weeks is we're going to look at some of the parables of Jesus, uh, as we'll see this morning, are designed to open our eyes to see reality for how it really is. And uh, oftentimes, and we don't even know it, uh, what we believe is an illusion. And so the parables here are going to help us understand uh, what life is about. So we're going to kind of do an introduction to this this morning, uh, looking here at Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look at verse 10 down through verse 17. So if you're able to stand, uh, please do so for the honor of reading God's word. Matthew chapter 13, and let's look here at verse 10. It says that the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case... The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Why? For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their eyes, they can barely hear and their, with their ears, they can barely hear and their eyes, they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see. And your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that we now have to learn from your word, uh, the joy it is to be together, uh, to worship you. And we just recognize this morning our need for you to open our eyes to see life as it really is. Help us this morning to that end because we can't do that alone. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it was a a moment that I had been waiting for a very, very long time. In fact, after all those hours spent in the backyard shooting hoops and practicing all the hours I spent uh, playing pickup games with all my neighbors and the friends in the neighborhood and, and just all the time that I spent daydreaming as to what it would be like to put on that jersey, to tie up the, the shoelaces and to run out onto the court and to the screaming of the crowd. I had thought about it. I had dreamed about it for a long, long time, and after a few days of tryouts, I would finally discover whether or not I would make the middle school basketball team. (laughs) Now, you laugh, but that was really important to me at that time, because this is something I so wanted, And, and that day finally came, the last day of tryouts, the coach gathered all the players around, he had the clipboard with all the names of the people who would make the team, and... I just want to leave you in suspense for a little bit. To my joy, I made the team. Really? Nobody's happy for me? Like that? that, Yeah. 
So I, man, I cannot tell you how, so when I heard my name called, I thought, yes, my dream has come true. And I I just immediately started thinking about what it was going to be like that first day of real practice, showing up on the team and all the things that we would do. And I thought, we're going to shoot free throws and layups and the coach is going to teach us how to shoot. We're going to learn the offense and we're going to learn the defense and we're going to scrimmage full court. And then I showed up the first day of practice and we didn't do any of that. Instead of teaching us how to shoot, the coach taught us how to stretch. Instead of scrimmaging back and forth, we just ran laps over and over and over again. I thought we'd learn the offense. What we learned was exercises. In fact, we did not pick up a basketball for days. And I remember thinking, what in the world is going on? I didn't sign up for track. I signed up for basketball. And I remember thinking, this is so pointless. In fact, I was even to the point where I said, this coach has absolutely no idea what he's doing. I was frustrated because what I expected and what I experienced didn't match. You ever been there? You ever had a point in your life where what you thought was going to be reality ended up not being reality at all? Like you, you finally got that job that you wanted so bad and you got it. And after a few weeks, you realized that you were working with a bunch of num nums, right? <laughs> I can't say that happened to me, right? Coming here to Brian, <laughs> num num. Anyways, or, or, or for instance, you know, you, you finally marry the woman of your dreams and after just a few months you realize she's the woman from the movie Misery, you know. <laughs> Hopefully that's not happened. Or even little things like you order the hamburger and it doesn't look anything like its picture. Or, or vacation season, you made that reservation months ago for the four-star hotel and you get there and it doesn't look anything like the brochure. <laughs> Anybody been there? Where what you expected, what you anticipated didn't line up with what you actually experienced. And you realized in that moment that what you thought the whole time was an illusion. Now, it's one thing when that's a hamburger. It's another thing when it's something that really matters, like what life is all about. When you think life is supposed to be a certain way, and then you experience something different, then you can really be caught off guard. And and if you've ever had that type of feeling before, be of good cheer. You're not alone because those in Matthew chapter 13 feel the exact same way. What they've expected and what they've experienced are not lining up. In fact, notice what the disciples ask in verse 10. And you really have to get the context, which we'll talk about to understand what the kind of the tone of this question. It says, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, that question is a question of confusion. What are you doing, Jesus? Why are you speaking this way? And the reason why they're asking this is because Jesus has, for 
many, many, many times he's been talking about the kingdom of God. You go back a few chapters to Matthew chapter 4. It says that he's going around Galilee and other places and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's performing miracles. We learned in the Lord's Prayer that we talked about the kingdom of God. Jesus is over and over again saying that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, that is something that was expected and had been anticipated for a very long time for those that are listening to Jesus. In fact, listen to what Luke tells us in Luke chapter 19. It says that as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable. Now, why did he tell them a parable? Because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, they thought, it's on. It's game time. Here it is. John tells us in John chapter 6, verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain. So the context here is they're ready, they're eager, they've longed for this, and now they think it's here. They think the time has come to a much greater degree than I did in basketball. I mean, they are ready for showtime, they are ready for game time, and all of a sudden Jesus starts speaking stories that confuses everybody. Jesus starts saying the kingdom of God is like, and they're like, we know, we know, we know. It's like a vast city with thousands of people and everybody's wearing robes. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God is like a sower sowing seed. What? That doesn't make any sense. The kingdom of God is like, we know, we know, we know. It's like a, a military conquest that overthrows Rome and, and a new political power comes. And Jesus says, actually, the kingdom of God is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. And they're so baffled. They're like, what are you talking about? Why do you speak to them in parables? Like, it would be like somebody coming up to me and saying, you know, pastor, tell me about your church. I hear great things are happening at Berean. Tell me about it. Well, sure, amazing things are happening at Berean. In fact, Berean's a lot like fishing bait. We got spinner bait, and we got crank bait, and we got live bait. We even got some stink bait. And then I just turn and walk away. They'd be like, "What? I asked you about your church, and you're giving me fishing bait." Or, or like I come up here this morning and I say, hey guys, listen, listen, Christianity is a lot like barbecue. You know, you got Tennessee barbecue and Texas barbecue and Kansas City barbecue and North Carolina barbecue. You know what I'm talking about. And just walking off. You'd be like, what is he talking about? That doesn't make any sense at all. We ask the pastor about his church. He gives us fishing bait. We ask Jesus about what life is like and he gives us bedtime stories. And not only that, Jesus, I don't mean to be offensive, but where in the world is this kingdom? The last time I checked, Rome is still in control. The last time I checked, life hasn't changed all that much. You say the kingdom of God is here, then why is it in the Twin Cities there is a wife this very day trying to hide her scars from life with an alcoholic husband? You say the kingdom of God is here. Why is it that this very day, somewhere in America, a congregation will vote their pastor out because they want their ears tickled? 
You say the kingdom of God is here. Why is it that a teenage girl in Lakeville desperately wanting the affection of a father will trade that for a boyfriend promising artificial? You say the kingdom of God is here. Jesus, where is it? And we ask you what this kingdom is like and we get fairy tales. Why do you speak to them in parables we don't understand. And Jesus turns to them, and it is as though Jesus is saying, but what if all your expectations or the way you thought it would come to pass was only an illusion? What if seeing, that is the way you think life should be, kept you from actually seeing Notice what Jesus says. He answered them, verse 11, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Look at verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In fact, we know this from many other places in the gospel, that what these people wanted to do is they wanted to see, and then they'd believe. And what Jesus knew was that in their heart, what they really wanted was a show, not a savior. They thought this is how reality is supposed to be. This is how life is supposed to run. This is the truth, the way it should be. And Jesus says the truth is they see, but they don't see. They hear, but they don't hear. And they don't see because God will not reveal it to them. That's exactly what Jesus says in verse 11. And why will God not reveal it to them? Why does God leave those who are spiritually blind, blind? Look at what Jesus says when he quotes Isaiah. Indeed, verse 14, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. And here's the why. Here's the answer to the why. Notice the word for. It's the ground. Verse 15. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. They don't see why. God won't reveal it to them. Why? God won't reveal it to them because they don't want to see it. Deep down in their heart, Jesus knows that the desire of their heart is not to believe in him. It's not to receive him. And because of that, Jesus is going to teach in parables to hide from them the very thing that their heart doesn't really want to know. And Jesus here, in quoting Isaiah is actually saying what was true in Isaiah's day is even more true in my day. Namely, when Isaiah saw the glory of God, Isaiah 6, and he said, here am I, Lord, send me. God said, I will send you. I'm going to send you to a people that do not want to hear your message. But you're going to go to them and you're going to preach, but they will reject you. Why will they reject you? Because their hearts are hardened. And Jesus says, that was true in Isaiah's day. That's even more true in my day. 
In fact, in John chapter 8, we see this come to pass in Jesus' life. He's speaking here to the Pharisees. Look at me, religious people, they'd have fit right in in our church services. They'd come every week. They might even take leadership positions. And Jesus looks at these Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 43, and notice what he says. Why do you not understand what I say? It's the same thing in Matthew 13. Why do you not understand what I say? Here's the answer. It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You don't believe it because you don't want to believe it. And Jesus goes on two verses later and he says, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. It's because I'm telling you the truth that you don't want to believe. Here's the practical application, Brian. Look right here. The truth is there are some of you here who if you got past the exterior and got to your heart, it's far from him. And you may go through a religious routine and you might say that you really want to know Christ, but in your heart, you do not set your mind on him. You do not love him. You do not seek to want to follow him faithfully. And Jesus says, when you have a heart that is grown dull, when you have a heart that is grown hardened, you will not be able to see the way life is supposed to be lived. You won't see. But the good news, that's the bad news. The good news is, notice what Jesus says in verse 16. But blessed, he turns to the disciples here and he says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see. The disciples believed in him. And your ears, for they hear. So parables, look here for a moment, parables, Jesus teaching this way is meant to, on one hand, concealed truth for those who don't want to believe, but at the same time revealed truth for those who will believe. The, the first approach is, let me see, then I'll believe. Give me a show, Jesus, and Jesus knows that your heart isn't genuine. But the other group is, I believe, I receive you. And Jesus turns and says, blessed are your eyes because they'll see. You know, it's, it's like, the, you ever looked at those stereograms, those like paintings or pictures that you have to stare at them for a while, and then all of a sudden an image appears behind it? And some of you stare at those things for hours and you can't see it, you know, and you just walk away frustrated. Others of you, you stare and, and all of a sudden that, that picture in the background becomes clear, you know, and it's like, you know, four dolphins playing cards at a sunset, you know, it's something like really crazy or whatever, you know. But, but that's the idea that for a lot of people, they look at reality and they can't make sense out of it. They want to see before they've believed. But Jesus says, for those of you who have believed, for those of you who are following me, you'll look at life and you'll see. So that's how money works. So that's how relationships work. So that's how I'm supposed to spend my time. I mean, that's totally different than how the world says it. Yeah, because that's a world, the world is an illusion. Jesus opens our eyes to see this is how life is supposed to be. Now, can I give just a word of encouragement to you? Some of you are faithfully trying to follow Jesus. 
and you're in a season of life where you can't see clearly. And, and can I encourage you by just saying the disciples would be good company for you. They have left everything to follow him, and here they are still struggling, and this won't be the last time they struggle. But the promise that God gives them is you will see. Look at me, Christian, who is struggling right now with where your life is at. You will see. It may not be overnight. But Jesus promises you that God will give you the gift of sight. Matthew Henry says this about parables that really summarizes this. He says, parables make the things of God more plain and easy to those who are willing to be taught. And at the same time, more difficult and obscure to those who are willfully ignorant. So look at me here. Over the next few weeks as we look at parables, you're going to be challenged in areas of your life as to whether or not you believe in illusion or whether or not you understand reality. And for some of you, it will turn you away. You'll say, that's great. Living like that? Who does that? And you'll go back to your illusions. But my prayer is that as we look at these things, God will open up areas in our life. So it's kind of three main things that I hope that will happen for us today and in the weeks to come is this. Three things. Number one is that we would be given sight. I take this uh, from uh, verse 11. It says, and he answered them to you. Notice this. It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. In other words, Folks, if you really want to see, where do you go? Answer, God. Do you really want to see your life, your marriage, your money, your work the right way? You're going to have to go to God to ask Him to give you sight to see those areas the right way. In fact, the Bible is absolutely clear that we cannot see reality on our own. Uh, Jesus in, in John chapter 12 said, the spirit of truth will come and he will guide you into truth. Why? Because you can't get there on your own. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus looked to Peter and he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are Christ, the son of the living God, right answer. And Jesus said, Peter, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Our response, look at the last part of verse 15, is this. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, here's our response, and turn, 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 and I will heal them. Our response is to turn to God and say, without you, I'm blind. And I recognize that sin in my life has not just made me bad, it has made me blind. And so I need you to come and to give me sight. Would you breathe? Would you breathe in my life and awaken my soul as we sing about? God, would you do the work of illumination that, that I cannot do? And listen, there are some of you this morning that, that what you need is you need the light of the gospel, the light of salvation to break through your life. You know why? Because the illusion that you're under is you're okay. The illusion that you're under is that, you know, your good outweighs the bad. And when life is said and done, that'll be enough. And I'm telling you, brother, I'm telling you, sister, that's an illusion that will take you a place you don't want to go.
And what you need is the light of the gospel to shine into your life, to show you who you really are, but at the same time to show you who God is and the grace that he is willing to pour out on you. Others of you, you are Christians and you are following the Lord Jesus, but do you know what you have? You have blind spots. And do you know what the problem is with blind spots? You don't see them. Now, everybody else else around you sees them, but there are spiritual blind spots in your life, and the prayer is, God, come and bring light in my life. Give me sight to areas that I cannot see. Great theologian, Mumford and Sons, and their song, Wake My Soul, says, How fickle my heart and how woozy my eyes. I struggle to see any truth in your lies. And now my heart stumbles on things I don't know. My weakness, I feel, I must finally show. Awake my soul. For you were made to see your maker. God, give me sight. Give me sight. May the anthem of my life be, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Say it with me. Was blind, but now I see. That's our prayer. The second thing I hope that we will learn from this is not only that we will get sight, but that we will be grateful for sight. I take this from verse 16. Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. That word blessed, it really means graced. The graced ones, the blessed ones. It is an act of God's grace that we see anything that is reality. God could have absolutely, in total fairness, let us live our illusion, be faced with reality when we die, and spend eternity separated from God. But by God's grace, When we turn to him, he lets us see. And and if you've seen, praise him. Amen? Like, Like, praise him. If you've seen the light of salvation, man, you ought to dance out of here or something. I mean, think about those in the gospel who received physical sight. They were blind and Jesus healed them. What did they do? They were like, yeah, whatever. No! Man, they jumped up and they ran home and they told everybody, I can see. The way you know you can see spiritually is joy always follows. A grateful heart is always the response of eyes that have been opened. Because Jesus says, graced are you, blessed are you if you see And so what I want is I want any of us who are in a spiritual slumber to wake up and realize what you have. And this thing of seeing spiritually is better than backstage passes to your favorite artist. It's better than the winning lotto ticket. It's better than season tickets to the Vikings. You have been given the ability to see how life really works and to see the glories of God. And that, dear friends, is nothing short of a miracle. 
Charles Spurgeon says it this way, when the Holy Spirit enters after quickening, he gives us enlightening. At first they may see rather hazily, but they still do see. And that's where some of you are right now. As the light increases, the the eye is strengthened. They see more and more clearly. And then here's the line, what, yes, Mr. Spurgeon, what a mercy it is to see Christ. To look onto him and so to be lightened. Graced are you who have eyes to see. So, what I want in our life today and in the weeks to come is I want to see. And I want the response of that to be our cup overflowing with joy for the illusions that are destroyed in our life. Amen? Well, here's the last thing I want, and we'll close, is not only to get sight and not only to be grateful for sight, but to grow in our sight. I take this from verse 12. For to the one who has, that is, who's believed, more will be given. That's exciting. And he will have an abundance. But from those who have not, that is, those who do not believe, even what he has will be taken away. In other words, and you've heard me say this before, haven't you? Um, when you taste and see that the Lord is good, you want some more, you know, and you want some more and you want some more and you want some more. You can't taste and see how beautiful and awesome and sweet Jesus is and not want to come back. I mean, yes, he's the bread that ultimately and forever satisfies, but he's also the kind of bread that the more you eat, the more you want. And the the idea that you'll be able to spend eternity and just feast on his glory alone knows that your heart will be satisfied forever. When you see Jesus, you want more. And God promises here to those who it has been given, I will give even more and more abundantly. I came across an article, it was actually in the LA Times, the, the title of the article kind of grabbed my attention. It was called Woman Sees for the First Time. And the article was about a, a lady by the name of, of Anna Mae Pinnica. Uh, she was a 62-year-old woman who had been blind since, since birth. And, uh, I mean, grass, the green grass she'd never seen, the blue sky, she'd never laid eyes on it. And then she came across Dr. Thomas Pettit, from the California uh, Eye Clinic. And he performed an operation on her at 62 years old that took the cataracts out of her left eye and caused her for the first time in 62 years to see. Faces that she'd only felt she could now look at. The Pacific sunset she'd only dreamed about she could now behold. And what she said struck me. She said, quote, I can't wait to wake up, to splash water on my eyes, put on my glasses, and enjoy the morning light. Everything is so much bigger and brighter than I ever imagined. I simply cannot get enough. That is the response of those who spiritually have been given sight. I can't get enough. 
this morning, you know, Matthew 13 is not the last time the disciples are going to be frustrated with what they think reality is and what reality actually is. And I want you to hear me as I close. Just a few chapters, if you fast forward a little bit in Matthew, the disciples will face this again. Jesus dies, and they put his body in a tomb. And it's interesting, the response of the disciples, because what they don't do is they don't go buy streamers and party hats and reserve the local lodge to plan their resurrection party. Where they're found is in a room, depressed, devastated, because what they expected and what they had just experienced didn't match. They had no room whatsoever in their brain for a king who dies on a cross. The illusion of it all devastated. But you know what Jesus does? He responds to one of the disciples. The disciples who said this, unless I can see with my own eyes and feel with my own hands the nail prints in his hand, I will not believe. I got to see it before I believe it. And Jesus, in his usual gracious way, appears to Thomas. And you know what he tells Thomas? Don't disbelieve. Believe. For blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. It's true, you know. Because the day came when we finally did pick up a basketball. And that year we went all the way to the state tournament. But there was a day when I said, this is pointless. There was a day when I said, this is meaningless. I can't see why this stuff matters at all. But you know, the coach, after all, knew what he was doing. Sometimes you have to believe before you'll see. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. God, as my prayer has been leading up to this morning and, and even what we've talked about this morning, just that you would give us eyes to see. Um, I know there are people here who have heard this message and um, they're lost and they don't know it. The lie that they have believed is they're okay without you. And I just pray in your grace that you would shatter their illusion and show them truth. And that uh, they would discover today the, the clarity of the gospel, the clarity of your love. For others of us, we know you, but there's so many blind spots in our life. God, would you today and over the next few weeks give us sight and in doing so increase our joy and our hunger for more? and more of you, may we say, we cannot get enough. In Jesus' name, amen.